and welcome to series two of my podcast, Innovation, where we get to hear the wisdom and experiences of incredible women in science and technology. My aim with the conversations that you'll hear on this show is to bring out the humanness of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and maths. I grew up in a very STEMI household where we were encouraged to be curious and ask loads of questions about the world around us. Maybe that's the reason why I went on to study mechanical engineering, a great subject for understanding how the world works. But by the end of university, I was able to mathematically model chaos, but it was only after university that life itself taught me that not everything can be explained with neat little mathematical equations. Life is messy. It doesn't always unfold in a straight line. And here on Innovation, I want to hear how other women in STEM deal with that. I want to hear their experiences, strength and wisdom about life. This week, I talked to Arthi Vijayakumar, a molecular biophysicist and biochemist. She won the Genes in Space competition back in 2018 alongside David Lee, Michelle Sung and Rebecca Lee. And the whole point of their project was to use CRISPR and Cas9 gene editing technology to study how DNA repair in space. Her project was implemented aboard the ISS, the International Space Station in 2019, and was one of the most sophisticated molecular biology experiments ever carried out in space. Uh, my name is Arthi, and I'm currently an undergrad at Yale studying molecular biophysics and biochemistry. How does your research affect the rest of us? Yeah, so I'm currently working in the lab of Dr. Joan Stites at Yale, and my research mostly focuses on studying how different types of RNA affect the antiviral response. So I'm essentially just looking at how um, certain kinds of genetic material can affect how cells respond to viral infection, which is definitely, um, from a perspective of immunology, really important for every, everyone in their daily lives. It must be so important now, given that we're right in the middle of a pandemic. You know, have you seen like a major interest in your work or how have things changed since COVID? I mean, I think definitely in the entire field of biology, there's been a huge shift towards COVID related research. And um, personally, I briefly considered looking into the kinds of RNAs that I study in terms of COVID, but um, have kind of steered away from that, and I'm still focusing on different other types of viruses. Um, but generally, as a field, COVID has become very central in molecular biology and other types of science as well. What's it been like um, being in the field, seeing something as urgent as COVID um, and our response to it? You know, did you see a sudden like panic or? Um, I think personally, I'm lucky to have been surrounded by very, very passionate and driven scientists even before COVID. So I've, you know, kind of seen them shift their focus to COVID research, but still be equally as driven and productive and inspiring, um, just working on a different topic now. So when I first came across your research, um, you were taking your research to space. Can you describe what exactly it is you're doing? Yeah, sure. So in our junior year of high school, some of my classmates and I um, formed a team and we found this competition online called Genes in Space. And we'd really just search, you know, high school science competitions on Google and this came up and we decided sort of on a whim to apply. 
And so the night before the deadline, we wrote up an application very quickly and said, you know, this is something we want to try to just shoot for. And we immediately forgot about it the next day um, because we just didn't think we had a chance of going anywhere with it. And then about a month later, we got a call saying, you're going to this conference in San Francisco as finalists and get to present your research and your ideas to this panel of amazing scientists and judges. And we were really, really excited. Um, and actually, none of us had told our parents about it before that moment because we had completely forgotten and didn't think we had a shot. So it was a huge surprise for everybody and for our families. Um, and so we went to the conference and we were able to work with a mentor who was a grad student um, at MIT at the time um, leading up to the conference. And we worked really hard to develop this proposal of an idea related to DNA and DNA repair that we wanted to put into space. And then we were lucky to be chosen at the conference as the experiment that would go to space and then work for several more months with scientists from NASA and Boeing and many PCR who are all incredible um, to make it feasible for the ISS and develop you know, the experiment while maintaining the integrity of our ideas that we had started with, but also making it realistic as well. Um, and so essentially our original idea was to study DNA break repair um, on the International Space Station. So when astronauts are in space, they are subjected to a lot of radiation that can be really damaging to their DNA. And if repaired incorrectly, this can lead to diseases such as cancer. And we know from previous research that astronauts do face an increased risk of cancer after returning from long space flights. So we thought, you know, this might be a way to understand that risk of cancer and eventually in the future mitigate it. Um, and so, our experiment used CRISPR-Cas9, um, which is a gene editing technology that's become very popular recently to create double-strand breaks on the ISS um, in the DNA. And so these simulated the breaks that were caused in cells DNA by radiation. Um, and then we were allowed to you know, give the cells some time to repair their DNA using whatever mechanism they might choose to use in space. And then we were able to amplify the DNA using the mini PCR system and sequence it directly on the station. And then we can compare how cells re repaired their DNA in space compared to how they repaired it on earth and see if the two were different and how that might affect astronaut health. Um, because of the limitations of our experiment, you know, we weren't able to draw super definitive conclusions about how DNA break repairs affected. Our sample size wasn't big enough for that, but we established the entire workflow in space, and we were able to see some very preliminary results. I mean, as a person in high school, did you ever think that you could make an impact in the STEM world at that age? Absolutely not. I think I'm not sure that we even fully believed that this was happening until the rocket launched a year later. Um, no, I think we just really started from something that we were interested in and continued to pursue it because we continued to be passionate about it. There was always to some extent that end goal of, you know, it would be really cool to put this in space, but I don't think that like, that was the only reason that we did it or that was even the first thing on our minds at the beginning. Can I be really honest with you? Like, I just don't think it's a normal experience for a high school kid to think that, an idea of theirs would end up on the International Space Station. Like, where have you always been like really good at science? 
I mean, I've always been really interested in science and especially since middle school, really interested in biology. And I think all of the members of our team really tried to pursue that even before Genes in Space. Um, we were volunteering or working in different labs at the University of Minnesota, where, um, close to where we live, and learning a lot that way during the summers, uh, doing a lot of other science competitions, and really just seeking out opportunities to learn more beyond classes for science at that age. Um, and I think that was definitely a major driving force in me landing in science today and probably in the future. But yeah, Genes in Space, you know, fully credit to this amazing competition for creating such an opportunity. But yeah, we found it through searching for more science competitions and more opportunities that were accessible to students at home and public school, things like that. It's so amazing and congratulations to you because it's just, what an amazing way to literally kind of catapult yourself into something that can have such a massive impact in terms of not just research, but um, publicizing the work that you're doing. Um, I'm thinking about high school students who may watch this and think, I'm probably not smart enough to follow in your footsteps. Like, do you think there was something about you that really put you on the STEM path? Or was it, is it, can other people be like you? Absolutely. I, yeah, I think one of the most frequent things that we've said when people ask us about this experience is you really don't have to know what you're doing until you're doing it. There's no prerequisites, especially to this competi competition. You don't have to have previous research experience or have taken certain classes. There are really very, very few barriers to entry here. And I would fully, fully recommend that everyone takes advantage and at least tries to apply because you will get something out of it no matter what. Um, but yeah, I think it's really important that, you know, high school students and other students know that we had no idea what space biology was when we started. I didn't even realize that was a field until we entered the competition. And um, I think a lot of our teammates had a similar experience where we were really interested in biology, but we hadn't considered space biology as this entire field of research. And we thought, you know, space is really cool and we want to see how it affects biology, but we had very little knowledge of what that looked like going in. And how we got here was a lot of, you know, reading and YouTube videos and accessible resources like that. And we also were lucky to have a lot of great guidance from other really good scientists. Um, but yeah, there was no prerequisite to us reaching this point or even being interested in science. I think we all just read a lot of kids' books when we were younger and explored a lot when we got older. So definitely, definitely get involved. Yeah, I mean, I've met so many young women and also young men and just people in science generally, whether they're older or younger. And um, I've asked myself often, why do I feel so passionate about encouraging young women in particular into STEM? And actually it's because I think it's a great way for women to gain independence. You know, STEM is hard. I mean, studying maths, physics, chemistry, biology, these are not the easiest of subjects, but in terms of um, developing a career, it really puts you on a very solid path. What has been your experience in building a life for yourself through STEM? Yeah, I mean, I think since middle school, it's given me something to focus on very deeply every time 
you know, an opportunity comes up to learn more about science and especially biology, I'm very hesitant not to take it. Um, and I've been lucky because I've been given and been able to find a lot of those opportunities. But I think for the past, you know, eight years almost, it's been a very central part of my life. <clears throat> I think going forward, I've always wanted to go into medicine since, you know, middle school, maybe before. I'm hoping to do that sooner now that um, I'm halfway through college. But yeah, also research has given me something that I've been focusing on for several years and that I'm really passionate about. And it's pushed me to learn not only different kinds of science in different labs, but you know how to present my research, how to speak, how to interact with different kinds of people. I think so many life skills and I am very, very grateful for that in all the environments that I've been in. But yeah, I think going forward, um, medicine is really appealing to me. Um, and, but I don't think that I'm quite ready to part with research yet either. So we'll see what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, how did you know that STEM career was for you? Because I mean, you could have gone into the arts or humanities, like how was it obvious to you that STEM was your thing? I think a lot of reading, um, when I was younger, reading books about biology, even very basic, you know, anatomy, um, things like that about the human body, like those were always the most interesting kinds of nonfiction books that I read. I think growing up in middle school when we started taking different kinds of science classes, um, life science stood out to me by far. I was like, this is, this is what I want to pursue for a long time. It was interesting because I think to some extent I had an inclination for science to start out because my parents are both scientists. They're both computer scientists or software engineers. Um, my brother is also really, really interested in computer science and studying that in college right now. But nobody in my family had really done biology or medicine or anything like that before. So in that sense, I didn't really have a clear path to follow or know exactly what I was doing for a very long time. And honestly, I still don't. But um, I think a huge part of my experience in science has been trial and error and figuring out what kinds of science experiences are the most rewarding to me and in what fields. Now, at this point, I've taken some, you know, chemistry and physics and math and all of that. And they're also all really interesting to me. But I think biology has always been something that once I found, I couldn't put down. Nice. Yeah, I find it fascinating that, you know, as you accumulate all this knowledge, it's really just... I mean, it's an unwritten destiny of where that can take you. I mean, who would have thought that your research, you know, a little idea when you're in high school would end up in space? I mean, there's just no limit, really. Yeah, truly. I think we're still trying to process that that happened. And it was almost probably two years ago now. Yeah. So where do you think you might end up? Like, what are the plans um, in terms of this research or my career? Or... In terms of your career, like, I mean, you could go many different ways. Like, what are you thinking would be the right path for you? Um, yeah, so I think I definitely want to get a medical degree and hopefully, you know, start medical school in a couple of years. I'm done with my sophomore year of college now. Um, I've been considering on and off uh, also pursuing a degree in research I'm not sure if, you know, MD, PhD is the right path for me or if I should just go to medical school. It's all super unclear, but I think right now I'm just trying to keep my options open and not close any doors too early. But hopefully that 
some clarity about that comes with time. So you are, uh, from the way you look, you um, appear to be in a minority as a person of color and female. Um, and there never seems to be um, sort of an equal number of people like you around. Have you experienced, um, are you aware of that difference? And if so, what have been your experiences? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's impossible not to be. Um, my parents are both immigrants from India and I have grown up as a woman in science. Um, I think in the field of biology, it's actually not the absolute, you know, like worst place to be for a woman in terms of it's um, regarding, you know, gender equality and like proportions. It's not super unequal compared to other fields, but I have definitely, definitely in other kinds of classes, in math classes and physics classes, pretty much every single one that I took before college and even some in college have been very, very male heavy. And a lot of times other students are very, very quick to discount people who look different than they do um, in terms of achievement and success. And I think that a large part of growing up as a woman in STEM and still really, really wanting to do those, these things, even if they're male dominated, has been learning how to push past that, but also um, call it out when I see it. And um, I think that I started recognizing this and having to acknowledge this and address this, like uh, mostly in high school. And I think that um, obviously it's not avoidable in college and going forward, but I've learned a lot from it. I think, you know, my mom is also in computer science, which is a very male dominated field and she's a woman and she always has been in this minority group. And I think, you know, having her to look up to and to have observed her be really successful in her field and her career, even, and maybe even because of, you know, that identity has been really inspiring too. Mm. So what top tips do you have to share given all that you've learned with that kind of experience? Yeah, I think first of all, it's really easy to be intimidated when you walk into a classroom and nobody looks like you. And it seems like, you know, nobody wants to be lab partners with you because there are 27 other guys in the room. But I think it's really important to, you know, just remember why you're there and remember that this is not an experience that you should have to forego, especially for something like that. And then just to continue to work hard and reach the level of success that you want for yourself and don't feel like that you are there to prove something to other people. Um, but I think, you know, that's always a bonus when they realize that you are equally as competent, if not more so, um, even though you look a little different. But I think just really, really be honest with yourself about what you want and don't compromise on that because of other people in the room. Oh, I really love that. I think that kind of advice um, requires one to be very sure of the decisions you're making. And sometimes that's not always easy. Like we don't know often what is the right thing for us. Sometimes it's trial and error. So the idea of remembering, okay, why am I here? Um, can I think that can be tested sometimes 
Have you ever experienced that? Yeah, I think I'm, I, it definitely does require a lot of certainty and I have not always had that. And I still obviously don't always have that in every decision I make. I'm probably one of the most indecisive people I know. Um, but I think as ter- in, far, in terms of my career um, and my education, I try to think carefully about the steps that I take, but I also know that I'm very lucky to be in an environment where there's very few wrong steps. So I think, you know, being at Yale and having access to this great research and these amazing classes, I realized that, you know, if I put myself in a more challenging environment one semester, but not so much the next semester in terms of classes and things like that, it's never really the wrong decision because I'm always going to get something out of it. But I think, yeah, coming to realize that um, what you are gaining from an academic or you know, career-related experience is not always what you set out to gain, but that that's still equally valuable. I think it's something I realized, especially during the pandemic, when I had just joined a lab and I was really looking forward to being in the lab and doing bench work and you know, starting my project. And then we all had to go home for the pandemic and I realized, okay, this is not the skill that I'm going to gain for the next at least few months or a year, even though that's what I signed up for. And I learned a lot of other valuable things and now I just couldn't ask for more. So I think knowing that even if you're not sure about the decisions that you make, that they can still be very valuable is really important. Oh my gosh, there's so much wisdom in what you've just said on many different levels. So one of them is, um, I'm really getting a strong sense that actually there is no such thing as the wrong choice because just by choosing, we're already able to learn so much from that choice. And I love this idea of like, not having expectations on our choice. So, you know, we shouldn't pin too much on a certain outcome, but actually be open to whatever the outcome might be. That's such a empowered way of looking at things. Um, Where did you learn all of that? Um, I think, like you said before, trial and error, it's really easy to, you know, have your heart set on a certain outcome and um, how you think a certain thing is going to turn out and then just be very disappointed by it. And then I think, you know, as that has happened over time or uncontrollably so, especially with the pandemic, I think I realized that the only way to move forward and still get something out of it is to search for the other things that you can gain from every experience. And so, yeah, I definitely coming into Yale, this is not what I thought my college experience would look like. And I think pretty much everyone can say the same of the last couple of years. Um, But I've also realized that this is still my college experience and I still want to get everything that I possibly can out of it. Yeah, that's such a fascinating point because I think a lot of adults look at younger people who are missing out on, I don't know, just so many different things as a result of this pandemic. But actually, we're projecting our adult selves onto them because they've not necessarily known anything different. Um, And so really, we should all adopt more of your attitude, which is that, you know, this is it. Like, we are here doing life right now, and there's so much joy and learning and there's so much to be gained from the experience right now rather than constantly comparing it to other things and seeing as though we're lacking as a result of this pandemic. Yeah I think for a long time as everyone was I was just you know 
kind of feeling like everything was on hold until this would end or things would go back to normal. And I think I realized after some amount of time that that wasn't the best, you know, mindset to have or use of my time because life was still happening, whether we wanted it to pass by or not. So. So with that, is there anything that you would have done differently in terms of your career choices with hindsight? Um, I'm honestly not sure. I'm sure that my decisions will, I'll change my mind a lot. There's still a lot of ambiguity and exactly what I'll do moving forward. I think honestly, everything I guess that I've chosen so far has gotten me here, even if it wasn't what I expected before. And right now I feel very satisfied and happy with, you know, the amazing research opportunities that I have, the people that I have around me, the education that I have. So I guess right now I have kind of chosen to maximize what I've gotten out of every experience I've had so far. And I guess since I've learned so much from every single one, I wouldn't change anything. Oh, that is so beautiful because I think actually, you know, what you're saying is so strong and resilient because with hindsight, there are always things we could do differently because we're looking from a very different perspective. But the fact that you're like, no, I'm actually (laughs) with everything that's happened so far. That's not to say that everything's probably gone perfectly, but the fact that you see it as like, I did my best in every situation is that's the most empowered um, perspective to come from. So that's Yeah, I think it's really easy to say, you know, I wish I had studied more for that test or taken that class or done that competition. And I think maybe a couple of years ago, if you had asked me, I would have said that. But at this point, I think I've kind of more consciously chosen to gain as much as I can out of what I have. And to continue to search for more, but not in a way that makes me regret not taking advantage of what I have now. Absolutely. Because actually that kind of mentality um, where you would you regret um, is only really useful for just beating yourself up. Like there is nothing to be gained from regret. I just I love that. That's so profound. Um Along your journey, what has been the best piece of advice you've ever been given from friends, family, or professional? I don't think I can pinpoint one single piece of advice, but I think a resounding theme from my family, um, other figures in my life, my dance teacher, our Jeans and Space mentor um, throughout this process is kind of just, you know, pursue the things you're passionate about, absolutely. But also, you know, don't forget to live your life and be a good person along the way and make sure that you're happy and make other people happy. So I think it's really, really easy to get sucked into yourself and also what you're doing and your goals. But kind of just don't forget about the rest because those parts are equally as valuable, if not more. And I think, you know, especially Dennis, our mentor for Jeans and Space, has always been really, really great about teaching us not only about the science, but about the life experience that comes with the science and just in general. And he's been a huge guiding and influential figure in all of our lives since then. In terms of how you keep yourself mentally fit and strong, like, do you have like go-to things that um, always bring you back to your center of gravity? 
Um, I don't know if I have specific things. I think, you know, sometimes there's a lot of long days at lab. They're studying for the MCAT. It's really easy to get swept up in all the things we have to do. I think I mostly just decompress by spending time with friends, my roommates, um, watching bad movies, things like that. Um, it's important to make time for some of the things that seem like maybe a waste of time. But yeah, to switch off and not feel bad about it. Yeah, exactly. I think it's taken a lot of, um, again, trial and error to learn that. But I'm glad that I have to some extent. Is it very competitive at Yale? Um, I think one of my favorite parts about Yale is that everyone is really, really good at what they do and really passionate about it, even from the first day that we got here. But everyone is also really kind and collaborative and willing to help each other. And no, I've never felt like people are at each other's throats to get a good grade or do well on this test or whatever. But instead, I learned so much by being with other people who are equally interested and passionate about what they're doing. So I'm yeah, really happy to be here. That was a huge thing that I wanted in college and I'm really lucky to have gotten it. Mm. Do you feel there are any cultural obstacles uh, between genders? I mean, I think as you discussed before in some environments, it's really easy to you know, get spoken over if you're a woman in a small seminar or not taken seriously. Um, it's just something that unfortunately exists, but I think that Yale and my classes have been full of very, very outspoken and powerful women and students that are very much not afraid to make their voices heard and make it clear that they're equally as competent and capable as everyone else in the room. And I think that a large proportion, at least in my experience, of the male students here are also very, you know, supportive of that and not you know, degrading or any any way like patronizing to female students. So I think that while that culture exists, you know, as it always has in many spaces, I think that there are also a lot of really good people who work to make sure that it is minimized. And that's not to say that it's ever going to be one extreme or the other, but I think that um, in my experience that women have really done a lot to make sure that they have the space that they deserve. And I don't think that it'll ever be completely equal or completely solved, even though it should be, uh, at least not, you know, anytime soon. But I think it's really inspiring to watch, you know, my classmates and um, other people my age and also try to myself um, speak up when we deserve to do so and deserve to be heard. Yeah, it often feels like a really massive task to try and equalize the genders. But actually, I feel like one of the most effective things that could happen between um, the genders is actually just accepting that we all have something important to bring to the table. Mm. Um, so rather than competing with each other, just acknowledging that we all you know, have our roles um, and they're all as important as each other. Um, which brings me on to the subject of role models. Like how important have role models and mentors been for you? Absolutely so important. Um, I don't think I would be anywhere near where I am today doing the things that I love without them. I've been lucky to have, you know, a ton of really great role models. My parents have always worked really, really hard. I've um, 
you know, my dance teacher is a woman who studied science and is a scientist and also an entrepreneur and also an incredible dancer. And I've known her for more than 10 years now. Um, our mentor, again, from Jeans in Space and other lab mentors that I've had in the past have really, really pushed themselves to make sure that I gained the most that I possibly could out of every research experience and developed more as a scientist and just challenged me constantly because they wanted me to learn. And I am very, very grateful for that. And it's definitely such a formative part of who I am now and part of my career now. And again, very grateful and could not be here without all of them. What have been the best qualities of a mentor for you? Um, I think that patience is really important, but also for me, um, the things that have most affected me is when my mentors or teachers have pushed me a little past where I was comfortable with. So um, in one lab that I worked in in high school over the summer in a school year, um, I had a mentor who would, you know, walk me through protocols and teach me different things. And he would always be there like close by so that I could ask questions or whatever. But then also sometimes we would have, you know, some downtime and he would make up science problems or experimental design problems and challenge me to solve them for no reason other than to make me better at thinking about these things and to make me a better scientist. And I was 17 at the time and I was a little bit confused, but also could see what he was doing and was very grateful for it. And I think he just had such a commitment to teaching me every single day um, even though I was in high school and he had absolutely no obligation to do so. And I think I've had other teachers like that too have, who have pushed me beyond what I thought I needed to be pushed to just a little bit in the best way and made me realize that, you know, I could learn more or do more. And I think, you know, definitely if he hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be where I am now with research. And I think genes in space and all of these things have been like, just really transformative that way. And also I must say that um, your willingness to grow and evolve as a scientist and human has also probably been a massive part of that very fruitful dynamic because you want to be a better person. And so that willingness I think goes a really long way. Um, on that note then, what do you think is your best superpower? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Um, I have no idea. I think I will say this might be a cliche answer, but I will say that once I get fixated on something or interested in something, there is no going back. Like I'm fully in it and just really, really passionate about finding out more always. I think whether it's big or small, sometimes I'll, you know, be watching a movie and see this person and then end up in an hour long Wikipedia rabbit hole about some historical, you know, event um, but on a larger scale too, with the things that I study and that I'm interested in, once I kind of find what sparks my interest, it's just fully forward from there. That's so awesome. Ah, oh, I can see why you're such a great researcher. <laughs> um, so how old are you, by the way, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 20. Okay, so in your 20 years on this planet, which is really that long in the grand scheme of things, um, what's been your most humbling life experience? 
I mean, I don't think there's a sing like a just a single one, but I think realizing that. So I talked about these science competitions and classes and things like that that I pursued, but I think realizing that if you put yourself in that many environments to succeed, you're going to fail a lot, and you're going to lose a lot of the competitions, and you're going to do badly on a lot of tests if you take the really hard classes and things like that. And I think I hold myself to probably an unrealistically high standard sometimes. So it took me a while to learn that that was very much part of the process and that failure was not only inevitable, but very necessary. And I think especially this past year, um, but even in the past in research, you know, realizing that most experiments fail, like you can do everything right, but things will still go wrong. And it's about learning from those things and just moving forward and not getting stuck on the things that don't work. So yeah, before Jeans in Space, there were plenty of competitions where me and my friends or, you know, these same classmates would enter them together or we would compete against each other sometimes. And like, it didn't always work out for the best, but then we kind of all came together and said, like, we want to use all of our shared learned experiences and see where Jeans in Space could go. So that's how we ended up there. That's so awesome. I'm so happy for you that you see the importance of accepting failure as an opportunity to grow and develop. I mean, that for someone who's 20, like <laughs> someone who spent a lifetime not learning that. <laughs> Incredible that you've got that. Um, there's been so much effort, especially, you know, recently about encouraging EDI, equality, diversity, and inclusion, particularly in STEM, because the numbers are quite low. Um, do you have perspectives on why encouraging EDI is important? Yeah, so actually, I'm part of a club here at Yale, the Yale Undergraduate Research Association, that does a lot of work on that area. And I'm actually one of the people who leads some of that work. And I think that um, some of the things we do are just, you know, connect students to mentors who have similar identities to them because as we've talked about mentors and guidance is so important. Um, we're working on creating a platform, a symposium to highlight um, research and work of underrepresented minorities um, and things like that. And I think, yeah, a large part of it and a large part of why I think is important is that people who are not traditionally highlighted or given as many opportunities as those who come from different backgrounds are still so, so capable and produce such amazing work and deserve to be recognized for that. And not only recognized, but given the opportunity to do so if it's not something that can fall into their lap as much as it is for others. Um, and I think also, as we talked about, um, highlighting these people so that younger students will see them and realize that this is something that I can be, even if no one that I know who looks like me is a scientist or is a doctor, like, if this is something I want to do, it's not just something on TV anymore, right? It's, it's real and it's happening and I shouldn't be afraid to pursue it as well. So I think really creating that representation for the sake of the students themselves, because they very, very much deserve it, but also for those who come next. And so that, you know, at some point it's not seen as um, abnormal or remarkable in a, in a bad way that you got somewhere even though you look the way you do. You know, that even though it shouldn't really be part of the equation anymore. And hopefully with enough of this work, it won't be. Well, you know what? Like you embody 
chat. You know, just hearing a bit of your story and just seeing you there is so inspiring because you just, um, you are just blazing a trail. I mean, it's just amazing to have had the time to speak with you. Um, thank you so much for coming on this series and good luck with all your research. I have a feeling we're going to be learning a lot more about your incredible work in STEM uh, for a long time to come. So thank you. Yes, thank you for speaking with me. And again, yeah, none of this would have been possible and Jesus Space wouldn't have been possible without the entire team and all of the sponsors and my, my teammates, Rebecca, Michelle and David. Um, it was, as everything has been, really a team effort. So thank you for listening to me talk about it. Thanks for listening and please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews and the more interest from those trusty algorithms, which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube on my new series called Esteemed. It's all about self-discovery and self-evolution on innovation. So as always, be kind and loving to yourselves and I wish you all a great week.